The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Why don't you hold your Bible, lift it up high, and shout, this is my Bible. I believe what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter, a doer, not just a hearer. Today, Namtlanje, I will hear from God's word, and my life will never be the same. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. We, we are still continuing to talk about a series that uh, my wife kicked off uh, last week uh, called The Worry-Free Life. Amen. Uh, the Bible promises us a worry-free life. Say that after me. The worry-free life or the carefree life. You know, you just carefree. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, the Bible promises us to live a life of uh, 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 no worries at all, no stress, no anxiety, no fear. The Bible gives us as a promise. But notice we say the worry-free life and we do not say the problem-free life. Amen? Because the Bible never promised us a problem-free life. It promised us a worry-free life. What that means is in the midst of a storm, you have a promise that you can rest in. In the midst of a storm, we we're singing today that I will rest in your promises. Uh, a story is told in the New Testament where Jesus and the disciples were encountered with a storm. And right in the middle of the storm, uh, when the disciples went to look for Jesus, they found him sleeping on a pillow in the midst of a storm. Now, can you just imagine with me what a storm looks like? Sometimes a storm is tons and tons of water. Sometimes a storm is lightning. Sometimes it's just dark everywhere. Sometimes, you know, there's just noise and you don't know where it's coming from. And sometimes big waves are literally spilling the water into the boat. So Jesus could have been uh, uh, ankle deep or waist deep uh, in the water, but he still found a place that he could have peace in the midst of a storm. And it's the same promise that God gives us in John 6, 16, verse 33. Jesus says, in this world, you shall suffer persecution, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. So in the midst of a storm, we can have joy. In the midst of a storm, we can be of good cheer, knowing this, that Jesus overcame the world. And if he overcame the world, he is the same one who lives on the inside of us with the apostle John. We can boldly declare, as he said in 1 John 4 verse 4, that he who is on the inside of us is greater than he who is in the world or what's coming against us in the world. Amen? And because of that knowledge, we can certainly be cheerful. We can be, have joy in the midst of life challenges. Now, the reason we uh, like to talk about worry uh, is because Jesus taught about worry. He, he taught the worry-free life in Matthew 6, and we're going to look into that. Uh, the Apostle Peter also reiterated and taught about how to deal and handle worry in uh, first, team, first Peter chapter number 5 from verse 6 onwards. And if you go to Philippians chapter number 4 from verse 6 onwards, the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, worry as well. He addressed this issue. And, you know, I remember growing up and my, my pastor used to say, uh, uh, don't worry because it's sin to worry. Thou shalt not worry. No, it's not sin to worry. You can worry if you want to. But there's no benefit in it. Yeah. Amen? 
I said, amen. You know, you can worry if you want. God is not mad at you, but there's no benefit in it. Uh, uh, you know, when we taught this series a few years ago, I found out that uh, about 70 to 80% of all doctor's visits were worry-stimulated. In other words, these individuals had nothing wrong with them, but they worried themselves into the doctor's consultation rooms and paid a lot of money for it. We found out that South Africa uses, spends about 20 billion uh, rand every year on worry-related issues. In other words, people go and buy pills uh, to help them sleep, pills to keep them asleep, pills to wake them up, and pills to function. People are literally just uh, uh, dragging themselves because of worry, and I believe this is why Jesus had something to say about it. It is because Jesus wants you to enjoy life. And to some it may come as a news flash, but uh, actually the word of God says it. It says, charge those who are rich in this world not to be high-minded or to put their trust in uncertain riches, but to put their trust in a living God who richly gives us, watch this, all things to enjoy. I bet no one ever told you that God wanted you to enjoy life. It's there in the Bible. He richly gives us all things to enjoy, he wants us to live in a place of peace. And worry comes to rob you of that peace, amen? Yeah. Worry will stifle the promises of God in your life. Yeah. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 4, verse 19? Uh, he said, uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, what did it do? It choked the word. It stopped the promise of God from coming to fruition. So worry is not going to help you much. Amen? And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm trying to help you. I used to be a master warrior. Not warrior. <laughs> warrior. I mean, I could worry in three octaves. Just lower octave, mid octave. and I could worry in harmony, in a three-part harmony, in soprano, in alto, and in uh, tenor. Man, I was a master. I could worry about things that would never happen. Man, I could come up with my own things in my head and worry about it and lose my appetite and those things would never happen. Am I preaching to someone? <laughs> I'm not getting many amens in here. Man, I could worry about stuff. So in a way, I'm preaching to myself as well, but Jesus had something to say about this. Watch what he said in Matthew chapter number 6 uh, from verse 24 to uh, 33. Matthew chapter number 6 from verse 24 uh, to 33. This is actually where the sermon started. Jesus said these words. He says, no man can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot. Someone say cannot. Yeah. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was a Syrian God that promised the people uh, everything that God was promising them. So Mammon was a, was a, 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 a deity in the, in, in the olden times, a Syrian god that would tell people, you know, I will make you prosperous. I'm going to bring you peace. I'm going to uh, make your life better and so on and so forth. The very things that God was promising uh, the people, that's what Mammon was po promising the people. And Mammon is one of the sneakiest uh, spirits in today's worship because Mammon will tell you something like this. And I know some of you have heard people say this. Mammon will tell you, if you only get 10,000 rands, all your problems will go away. 
If you could only get 10,000, all your problems will go away. But here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is you don't need 10,000 rand for all your problems to go away. You already have Jesus who is the solution for all your problems. But mammon will always swing a carrot in front of you to try and make you get some way to feel like you are blessed. In fact, mammon always measures spiritual maturity by the accumulation of things. Mammon thinks that the more you have, the more spiritual you are. And mammon does not discriminate. It hits all the way from the pulpit into the pews. If you are a pastor and you think the mature ones in the church are the ones who have accumulated more stuff, mammon has got you. And it's influencing the way you see things. How many of you know that just because I'm riding a taxi does not mean I'm not blessed? Because the Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, watch this, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I may still be on my journey, and we are all on our journey to fully experience those blessings, but just because I'm on the journey does not mean I'm not spiritually mature. But mammon will get you into a place where you think, you know what, my spiritual life will only start functioning if I get a nice job. No, 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 no. That's not how it works in the kingdom of God. It works, you are blessed, you are uh, 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 prospered because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when you have that perspective, mammon will not sway you into worry. Because guess what? Like the Apostle Paul, if you get shipwrecked, it doesn't matter. If you get stoned, it doesn't matter. If you get imprisoned, it doesn't matter. You're still a blessed man. You'll still come out and say, you know what? That was just but light afflictions. It does, not, it does not measure how spiritually connected I am to God. Do you get what I'm saying? Amen. But when mammon has you, it will always uh, get you to a place where you're worrying and chasing after stuff. This is why it works like a seesaw. When you put mammon on a pedestal, man, you've literally put God down. He says you cannot serve both God and mammon. You're going to have to choose one. And when you start serving God, you've literally dethroned mammon from the, uh, a place of being God in your life. And when you've dethroned mammon, nothing can separate you from knowing that God loves you. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. When you've dethroned mammon, the enemy can't have you. Because yeah. to you, it's just but light affliction. I mean, this dude was shipwrecked, beaten by a snake, stoned to death, stripped more than uh, 39 times, and he still called it all light affliction. It's just about light affliction. Why is it light affliction? Because he had perspective. All I need is God. As long as I have God, everything else doesn't matter. Amen? So we need to focus on just elevating and, and worshiping God at that level. And material things won't mean much to us. I'm not saying God won't give you material things. He will bless you with so much more than you can ever handle. But it will just not dictate how you think and how you function in life. Amen? Let's go to verse 25. Now that we've dethroned uh, a mammon, and we are focusing on worshiping the, the true God. Watch the first word he uses in verse 25, therefore. Have you ever done the math, you know, equation? You do the math, some of you do equations, and you get to put the three dots, you remember? Therefore, when you put therefore, then you, you man, you're about to kill it. <laughs> you don't get to therefore if you didn't do the work. <laughs> you don't get to therefore. Without the work, amen? Now that we have perspective on what mammon is and we've dethroned him, therefore, now we can listen to this sermon that Jesus is preaching. He says, therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, 
What you shall put on is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Uh, in the King James here, it says, take no thought. Uh, the actual correct translation, if you read in the Greek, is take no anxious thought. So he's not saying don't figure it out. You know, you need to make a plan. You know, you need to know what you're going to eat for breakfast, you know, for lunch, for dinner, especially today where people count calories. You need to at least know, okay, this is where I'm at in the morning. This is where I'm at, you know. And, and, and for all my vegans, my vegans, anyone my vegans in the house? <laughs> we know exactly what we're going to eat, amen? Man, I'm vegan. I'm vegan between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> Nothing but water. I'm an extreme vegan at night, amen? So he says, take no anxious thought. Don't think about it anxiously. Did you see that? And he says, behold, the fowls of the air or the birds of the air, they sow not, they're not productive, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, they don't have pantries, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Listen. Jesus is saying the birds of the air, even though they don't go to work, they're not productive, they're not uh, blessed with the ability to be creative and to think strategically and go in the marketplace and make something of themselves, they can still trust God without a pantry, without a fridge, they can still trust God for their daily provision. They never stress or worry about getting the worms tomorrow. They know God is going to provide for them. And Jesus is saying, are you not... Better than they? Aren't your neighbor say, surely you're better than a bird. You're better than, you are better than a bird. Amen? Man, you're better than a bird. Man, birds don't worry. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Did you see that word, father? It connotes relationship. The birds cannot call God father. But you and I can call him father. The Greek word for that word father is pater, which means he's your nourisher, which means he's your provider, which means he's your sustainer, he's, your, he's the one that provides everything that you need. He's your father. There is a relationship between you and God that he does not have with the birds. Amen? And you can call God daddy. He has put the spirit on the inside of you, whereby you can call him Abba Father. You can call him daddy. And God is not an irresponsible father. Yeah. How many parents in here would say, Pastor, I went back home and I saw my children sitting at the veranda, twiddling their thumbs, looking all sad and sorrowful, and I asked them, what is going on? And they told me that they were worried about what we were going to eat for dinner. How many parents in here would say, that blessed me so much? Look at these responsible kids. Look at this. At, at six years old, she's so responsible to start concerning herself about dinner. How many of you would get on the phone and call your mom and say, Mommy, I think you trained me well. I'm training the kids right there. They've already started worrying about food. How many of you would say it blessed you? No, it doesn't. It would make yourself reflect. If that happens, you'd start asking yourself questions. Have I not been a good parent? Have I not provided for my children? And sometimes that's what we do when we worry to our Heavenly Father. I'm not saying God is going to be concerned and God is going to self-reflect. God already knows who He is and He knows He's a good Father. But if He could, you'd sit there and think, wait a minute, 
why do you look at me as if I am not able to provide for you? In fact, most people don't doubt God's ability. What they doubt is God's willingness to help them. Because they're thinking, you know what, I have to qualify. I have to have kept all the Ten Commandments. And we usually ask them, what are the Ten Commandments? They can only tell you about four of them. How are you going to keep something you don't even know? Anyway, moving right along. God is not treating you based on your performance, just like you don't treat your children based on on their performance to provide for them. Amen? And when you realize that is your heavenly father, man, it will begin to cure all worry and all stress. You will begin to trust in him, depend on him, and he will provide for you. He said, your heavenly father, you are much better than the birds. Verse 27. Jesus gets practical with this. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? In other words, which of you, by worrying, can grow taller? In other words, which of you, by worrying, can draw some benefit from it? I've never met anyone who says, you know, Pastor, I was just busy worrying, and then I bumped into this innovative idea. No, you know what worry does? Worry saps the energy, the creative energy that God has given you. Worry will literally cripple you. Worry will put you on the couch when it's 36 degrees outside with a blanket. Worry does not make you energetic. Amen? So if the enemy wants to stop you, he's not going to make you sin. Oh, ye holy ones. All he has to do is to get you to start doubting the goodness of God for you. All he has to do is to start getting you to start worrying and meditating on the problem and not the solution. You will still be holy in your own eyes. Oh, pastor, I haven't sinned. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I haven't done anything. But what are you doing for the kingdom of God and the assignment that God has put on you? Oh, no, it just seems not to work. How did the enemy get you into that position? He got you to think about problems and not solutions. So there's no value in worry. Did you see that? There's no value. Zero, 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 zero value. And he says, why then take thought for clothes, for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into an oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Or ye of little faith. It becomes a trust issue. Amen? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? Verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. He uses the word Gentiles there. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a substitute word for unbelievers. He's saying, you know, the, 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 the worryful life is a portion for unbelievers and not for believers. Because we have a father. We can't be worried like orphans. We have a daddy, amen? But I learned something from last week's sermon about this word seek that he uses in verse 32. He says, for after all these things do the Gentiles or the unbelievers seek. And that word in the Greek is epizeteo, which means to be obsessed It means to be consumed with much labor and toil. What he's saying is, 
all the Gentiles think about, all the Gentiles are obsessed with is to get stuff. It is to get ahead in the, in the, in the rat race. That's what they're obsessed with. That's the only thing on their mind. They're obsessed with getting ahead, getting stuff. If I can only get this, 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 this diamond ring, it will solve all my problems. If I can only get this car, man, it's going to change my life. And then five years later, they come up with a brand new car of the same one. The same one you got, they just add a few lights on it, and it's newer than yours. What you going to do? You'll start worrying to try and get that one. I call it the, the treadmill of life. Man, you can run as hard as you want to, but you're still, you're still on the same spot. I've got nothing against stuff, but here's the deal. God never created us to obsess over stuff. He says that's what unbelievers do. They get obsessed over stuff. And you shouldn't get obsessed over stuff. You know why? Because when that car gets into a car wreck, you should be able to enjoy the peace of God. You should be able to still have uh, joy and, and be cheerful in the midst of the storm. When you, you lose that cell phone, uh, iPhone 11 Pro, with three cameras, life should be able to still go on. I knew I wasn't going to get an amen. If you drop it and the screen cracks, life should be able, how many of you know that is life? Beyond screens and cameras on phones, amen? Okay, no one is saying amen. Here's what we should do, verse 33. He says, but we should seek first. It's another word, seek. But this word now is different. It's the word zeteo, which means desire, honor, worship with all your being. So here's what we should do. We should desire, we should honor, and we should worship the kingdom of God, that word kingdom is the king and his domain. What we should do is go after Jesus. Seek first with everything that we have. He gave it as a, a commandment in the Old Testament. He says we ought, to, we ought to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. And when we do that, we position ourselves to receive, watch this, all these things. God never meant for you and I to chase after things. He's always meant for things to chase after us. It works like a boomerang. While you're going after God, your wagon, God is just filling it up with all the good stuff. Amen? He never intended for any of us to go after stuff. When you start going after stuff, you're doing it in reverse. It's reverse propulsion. You're now doing it in verse 32. You're chasing after the things that you have no idea chasing after. And these things will pierce your soul. That's what the Bible says. Amen? But when you begin to seek first, when your focus is on the kingdom of God, when your focus is on his righteousness, his way of doing things, he begins to add all the things that you need in your life. Amen? Let's look at uh, this same uh, verse's cousin in the Old Testament. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter number 26, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to 5. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you know that God is a good, good father? We sang about that today. He's perfect in all of his ways. How many of you know that he knows the things that we are in need of before we ask him? Man, I used to think prayer was an adventure to try and convince an angry, indifferent 
deity to work on my behalf. So my prayer life was a mess because I would go begging. Please, 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 God. Please, God, God. And I would go for, for it for like eight hours at a time just to show him and to prove to him that I'm sincere. Push! Pray until something happens. Amen? Man, I was going in. I didn't realize that scripture says God knows the things that I am in need of before I even find out I am in need of them. And God provides for the things that I need before I even ask. And God answers prayer the very same way you pray it. The Bible says, how many of you, this is Jesus speaking, he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, how many of you up in here would give your child a stone if they ask for bread? And no one put their hand up. He says, how many of you would give them a scorpion if they ask for fish? No one put their hand up. He said, how many of you would give them a snake if they ask for an egg? No one put their hand up. He said, well then, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things, watch this, to those who ask him? If you ask for bread, God gives bread. You don't have to try and convince him. He's a good, good father. I remember uh, Dillian and I were traveling this past week to the minister's conference, Caris, in, uh, in, in the UK, in Warsaw, to the school there. And I remember, man, I, you know, worry. How many of you realize that you, you're going to get several opportunities to worry in a day? Uh, uh, you know, I wish I could tell you that we're going to deal with the spirit of worry today. And as you walk out of this, this, this building, you are never going to again be faced with another opportunity. I wish I could say that to you, but I'll be lying to you. This is a battle that you're going to have to fight every single day. You're going to have to remind yourself that God is a good, good father, and not only is he able, he is also willing to provide on my behalf. You're going to have to keep reminding yourself. In fact, in the Old Testament, they'll take a rod, you know, the walking stick. You know, when David said, thy rod and thy staff, it comforts me. In the Old Testament, they didn't have diaries, so they would take a walking stick, and every time God does something awesome for them, they would make a mark on the walking stick. And when they are going through the valley of the shadow of death, all they needed to do was to look back at the rod. And every mark represented God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's willingness to act on their behalf. And they would say, man, this rod, it comforts me. As I go in through the valley of the shadow of death, I can just look at this rod. Have you ever thought of, man, I think about these things when I read the Bible. How does a walking stick comfort them? I used to think it was shambok. No, no, no. It was because this had all the representations of God's goodness. All of the marks would be as a reminder to them that God is faithful. He did it for me through the birth of my children. Guess what? He's going to do it for me through the healing of my children. They would look at that stick and get encouraged looking at God's faithfulness. Amen? So our God is indeed faithful. And uh, Dillian and I, you know, as we were checking in, I remember going to my room, and the first thing I did was I pulled up my phone, got onto the Wi-Fi, and I went to Uber to check how far the school was because I wanted to do the math. And then, you know, it turned out the school was about 20 pounds away from, you know, the hotel, don't get it twisted. 20 pounds is not 20 pounds. It's 400 rand. Okay? Some of you are like, okay, pastors. 
What's the deal? It's only 20. No, it's not. It's 400 rand per trip. Man, I'm sweating in my palms. I mean, it was winter out there, but I'm sweating in my hands. I'm sweating on my forehead. Man, I'm thinking 400 rand per trip. But how many of you know that God already knew that it was 400 bucks before I went on to Google? And God had already made a plan. So it turned out when we got to the school, we uh, were connecting with some people and we bumped into this guy and he just took a liking to us and he said, you know what, I'm going to give you a lift for every trip, every trip to, from school. And it turned out God had made him stay in a hotel that was in the same zip code, in the same neighborhood, and we didn't have to pay a penny on uh, uh, Uber. And guess what? Here's the sad part. You want to hear the sad part? You see, I already gave you the good news. Now I can give you the sad part. The sad part is I didn't get any change of all the time that I had spent worrying about it. You would imagine, after it turned out, it worked out, you got your Uber, someone is, you know, going to give you a lift, you don't have to spend 400 rand a pop. You'd imagine you're going to get a little box with a ribbon on top, and when you open it, it says three hours. Back to you, that you wasted worrying about it. Oh no, that three hours was gone. I didn't get it back. So worry is futile. And you're not going to get any time back from the time you spend worrying about stuff. And in fact, they say 90%, you know, I'm just throwing out these figures, I saw them on Google, they say 90% of the stuff people worry about never happens anyway. But they never get their time back. What you worry about is gone. Amen? I said amen. amen. And in 2 Corinthians, we have a gentleman called Uzziah. How much time do I have? Chronicles. What did I say? 26, 1 to 5. That's what I say. Corinthians? It's the same. It's not, you know. It's... <laughs> Praise the Lord. Man. I have the mic. From verse 1 to 5, New King James Bible. Now, all the people of Judah took Uzziah was 16 years old. How old was he? So he's a young man. And they made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah. After the king rested with his fathers, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. I mean, this guy was successful. He reigned for 52 years. He was the second uh, longest uh, reigning king in Israel. Uh, second to David, 52 years of successful uh, rulership. And here's what happened. His mother, um, where am I? He reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Jecoliah of Jerusalem. Please don't name your children, Jecoliah. <laughs> and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Verse 5, he sought, he sought God in the days of Zachariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. Now, here's what I want you to see. Uh, remember, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what happens? All these things will be added unto you. Now, watch what he did. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So what's on our side of the ledger is to seek. And the word seek here does not mean, you know, to search as if God is lost. You know, you're searching for your keys. No, to seek means to desire. It means to honor. It means to worship. It means to go after with everything that you have. 
And as long as he sought God, God made him to prosper. As long as he went after God, God prospered him. And that's what God has called you and I to do. And how many of you know that seeking God is a sign of humility? And God always promotes the humble. The Bible says in James 4 verse 6, God gives more grace. Behold, as it is written, he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Amen? And humility is when you realize, I need God, and you seek after God, and you go after God, and God will begin to promote you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and what will happen? God, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. Amen? And I know that the message of humility is not popular in today's culture. You know, in the culture of Instagram and, and Facebook and, you know, I'm the man. I'm the, I'm the this. I'm the that. The, the, you know, humility is as scarce as hands teeth. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we need to be humble in the sight of the Lord if we are going to get promoted by God. Uh, uh, the word humility simply means to be God-dependent and not to be self-reliant. You know, the reason God uses us is not because we are somebody. It is because God has graced us with his strength. And when we realize that, we keep depending on him. And his strength, God will stay, he will keep promoting us. Because God promotes the humble. Amen? But when we get to a place where we're thinking, man, God is using me because, after all, I'm the kid. I'll be the key. God, you better be glad that I'm around to use because, no, 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 no. The reason God is using you is because you have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. Amen? And as you go after God, God will keep promoting you. And it's really a challenge when you are at the top to have this mindset. It's kind of easy to know that you, want, you have to be humble when you're still on the runway. You know you need the engines when you're on the runway. You know you need the engines if you're going to take off. Amen? So you're going to be dependent on God. You're going to be going to church and doing all kinds of stuff, just going after God. But when the plane is in uh, cruising altitude, man, you're tempted to think you can turn off the engines. After all, we are above the clouds. Amen? I'm telling you, when you are now above the clouds... Please remember, you need the engines on. And the engine is to go after God. The engine is to worship God. Amen? I was saying to the staff uh, uh, meeting, in the staff meeting, I was saying, you know, I never ever want to hear that someone is serving every single week in the month. Because I don't want them to think that serving replaces their relationship with God. Man, they need to have a time where they just put everything down and just focus on their relationship with Jesus and go after him and just serve him. And as they do that, God will begin to promote them. God will begin to bring them up into a place where he will sustain them. And when God is sustaining you, man, I'm telling you, it's a good place to be. Amen? Now, Uzziah was ruling for uh, how long? 52 years. And here's what happened in verse 11. Uh, of Second Chronicles 26. Thank you, Jesus. Is this helping you? Yes. Man, I'm, I'm running out of time, but I have two more things to say, and we are out of here. Is that okay? 11 to 18. Can I read it in the Message Bible? If we have it. We've got it now. Message Bible, we do. Second Chronicles 26, 11, in the Message Bible. We have it. Now, watch what it says. Uh, this is Uzziah, verse 11, please, if 
you will, 11 to 18. Oh, there it is. On the military side, Uziah had a well-prepared army ready to fight. They were organized by companies under the direction of Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the field captain, and Hananiah of the general staff. The roster of family leaders over the fighting men accounted for 2,600. Under them were reinforcement troops numbering 307,000, with 500 of them on constant alert. A strong royal defense against any attack. Who gave him the ability to have such a powerful army like this? It was God. Remember, as long as he sought God, God made him to prosper. Uzziah had them well armed with shields, spears, helmets, armor, bows, and slingshots. Who gave them shields, spears, helmets, armors, bows, and slingshots? Pastor Henry is saying drones. <laughs> who, gave them? Who, ga- who gave them those things? It was God who gave them, amen? Do we all agree it was God? God gave them all these things. He also installed the latest in military technology on the towers and corners of Jerusalem for shooting arrows and hurling stones. This is God just blessing him for seeking after God. He became well known for all this. A famous king. Everything seemed to go his way. Verse 16. But then, someone say but then. See now the plane is in cruising altitude above the clouds. But then the strength and success went to his. See, this is the opposite of worship. The opposite of worship is when you think that you're doing so well because you be it. And I always tell, we, we have a lot of educated people in this church, and I always tell them, you know, the reason you are so good at math, because, you know, sometimes we encounter with problems at the church, and I'm just standing there like, ooh, how do we do this? And then some of the clever guys just show up and they say, 36 minus 8 times 42 minus 365 <laughs> plus A, B times X equals, there's your solution passed. And then they just walk away and say, hey, come back here. <laughs> just because you did it this way does not mean that it's your own ingenuity. God blessed you with this ability. And I always remind them to give God the thanks. Amen? Just because we are doing well in what God has called us does not mean we are so awesome in doing it. Otherwise, we'll fall over into self-promotion, which is dangerous. We should always stay in God promotion. Amen? And let God uh, promote us. So it went straight to his head. Arrogant and proud, he fell. One day, contemptuous of God, he walked into the temple of God like he owned it. How many of you know that when we approach God, the Bible says we must approach him with fear and reverence? And how many of you know that he's talking to all of us? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, all included. In fact, God does not know any apostle. We are all God's children. And when we approach him, you better have some fear. By fear, I'm not talking about fright and being afraid of God. I'm talking about reverence. You better have some reverential respect for God. I know in the, in the, you know, in the old traditional churches, they do it externally. You know, you walk into the building and you have to bow and they do incense and all kinds of stuff, which is all good and well. But here's the deal. You need to start doing it in your heart. Where you wake up every single morning and you're reverencing God in your heart. Amen? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine in England and... Uh, 
he had to pull out his kids from you know, a public school into a private school because the public school had some gender confusion going on there. They were telling the kids, you are not a boy, you are not a girl, you are a they. You know, you, you can come, and, and here's what they were telling the kids in the public school. Today you can come as a girl. Don't be trapped into, the, uh, uh, into your body. You know, go with what your feelings say, and so on and so forth. And, 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 and man, I'm telling you, they've walked away from reverencing and honoring God. Amen? There's a lot of confusion. And I could help them. I told you. I said there's no biology in that. I could help you. If you are a boy, I'll, I'll be able to tell you in less than 30 seconds. I'll be able to tell you this is a boy and this is a girl. But how did they go so far? They went so far because they stopped fearing and honoring God. You know, I was raised in the Anglican Church, and I love the Anglican Church for the work that they did in my country. They built tremendous schools. The South African rugby team just won rugby. Tendai, the beast, actually went to a church, a school built by an Anglican church. So at one point, there was a revival in England, and they were giving so much towards missions, building schools and building hospitals and building uh, uh, schools and churches and so on and so forth. But I drove past an Anglican, old Anglican church that's been turned into a pub. And the person who bought it had the audacity to say, I would like to retain the architecture on the outside. I like the windows. We're just going to change what happens on the inside. Instead of worshiping God, we're going to be worshiping ourselves because that's what it is and our feelings. And I was thinking about it, thinking, man, how did they go so far? They went so far because they forgot to fear and reverence and worship and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen? I said Amen. And this is what Uzziah did. He went away and he walked into the church, into the temple, like he owned it. Took over, burning incense on the incense altar. The priest Azariah, backed up by 80 brave priests, tried to prevent him. They confronted Uzziah. You must not do this. You cannot do this, Uzziah. Only the Aaronite priests, especially consecrated for the work, are permitted to burn incense. Get out of God's temple. You are unfaithful and a disgrace. Verse 19. But Uzziah's censor in his end was already in the middle of doing it and angrily rebuffed the priest. He lost his temper. His temper. Angry words were exchanged. And then, even as they quarreled, a skin disease appeared on his forehead. As soon as they saw it, the chief priest Azariah and the other priests got him out of there as fast as they could. He hurried out. He knew that God then and there had given him you know, uh, this disease, Uzziah had his skin disease for the rest of his life. And had to live in quarantine, he was not permitted to set foot in the temple of God. His son Jotham, who managed the royal palace, took over the government of the country. So he was immediately uh, demoted. And, and, and I want you to hear me say this. In the New Testament, God is not going to smite you with anything. But we at least get a perspective of God's attitude towards being self reliant and not God-dependent, being proud and thinking that we are doing well because of our own strength. Man, when we seek first, we come to a place where we realize we are doing well because of God's endowment of his grace on our lives. Amen? And this is the message uh, that Andrew was preaching to us uh, at the minister's conference. He was basically talking to the ministers. Just like Uzziah, he didn't preach from this passage but just like you see, sometimes you do so well in ministry, you feel the need to add an extra title to your name. That's what this guy was doing. King was not enough. 
Did you see that? He said, king is not enough. I need to add priest to my name. I must be king, priest, Uzziah. And that was his downfall. Sometimes you just so, become so self-consumed and you think, man, I'm doing so well because, man, after all, I've been the king. And it happened to Saul. And I want you to notice something that's interesting is that God has never demoted anyone for making a mistake. Abraham made a mistake. He was never demoted. David made a mistake. He was never demoted. He committed adultery. He committed murder. But because he was humble in spirit, he repented. God still kept him on the throne. God will never dethrone you for mistakes. But God resists the proud. We should never ever get to a place where we're doing it in our own strength. And sometimes I pity people who are so gifted with uh, speech, they're so gifted with uh, singing, they're so gifted, so talented that they don't need God, that they can just show up and just do it in their own strength. Sometimes it's a sad place to be, to be so gifted with the work that you do that you don't have to pray before you do it because you could get to a place where you're just, you know, self-dependent and self-reliant. And that's not a good place to be. Amen. That's what happened to Saul. Saul decided he was going to kill the Amalekites, but not kill everybody. And the priest had given him, the prophet had given him instruction, when you kill the Amalekites, kill everybody. Kill their dogs, kill their cats, kill their animals. And Saul decided he was going to keep a few of the animals, the fattened sheep and the fattened cattle, and he put it in his backyard. And when the prophet showed up, he said, Saul, the Lord said you must kill everybody. What's up, bro? How come you didn't kill everybody? And he said, no, I did. I killed everything. And then as he was saying, I killed everything, the animals started mooing in the backyard. (laughs) And Samuel was like, wait a minute, what's that that I hear in your backyard? And he said, oh, no, it's just a little something that the soldiers decided to keep. And he said, but God told you to kill everything. He said, oh, no, no, the soldiers decided to keep it so that we could offer it as a sacrifice to God. And he was like, does God desire so much in burnt offerings that you would do it this way? That's where this phrase was coined. The prophet Samuel is talking to a soul and he says, behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Just obeying God is like, you know, cheating on your taxes to pay a tithe. How many of you know that, does, that doesn't work? Oh, I knew I wasn't going to get any. <laughs> The same thing that happened to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter number 4. Nebuchadnezzar built such a kingdom that was powerful. At one point he had a dream, and in his dream he saw his kingdom as a tree that was so big it touched the sky. And this tree was so uh, abundant in fruit, and it had a canopy that all the animals would come and just hide. And his fame went out through the whole earth. And while he was dreaming, there was a holy man that came from heaven and cut down this tree. And he called his magicians and witches to ask them what this dream meant, and they couldn't give him an answer. He then called Daniel, and Daniel came and said, King, this dream is about you. God is going to take away your kingdom from you because you you have now become self-reliant instead of God-dependent. And one day it so happened, seven years after the interpretation of the dream, as he was walking uh, in his backyard, he said these words, look at all this Babylon. Look at what I've built with my might and with my strength. And before those words had finished coming out of his mouth, he lost his mind. The Bible says he became like an animal. 
and he went out to eat grass with the, with the, with the animals outside. He became a herbivore. Can you imagine, for seven years, this dude never had buruvos. Seven years. He was eating grass with saliva drooling out of his mouth like an animal. Seven years. But thank God he repented at the end of seven years. And you know what God did? God restored his kingdom to him. God is not mad at us. God is not angry at you. God just resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And when we seek first, when we prioritize, when we honor God. Man, I have some pastor friends. I had to tell them, man, you need to come early. In fact, I go to their churches to preach and they tell me, You know, Pastor T, we don't walk into the building until about the third worship song. And I tell them, I can't do that. And they say, why not? I say, man, I have to be there at least 20 minutes before service starts so I can prepare myself. Because I'm not the superstar of the show. Jesus is. So I'm not going to join on your crazy, stupid parade of walking in at the third worship song so everybody can think you're somebody. In fact, if you're doing that, you already know in your heart that you're not anything. Because you're trying to get people's validation. So you think God hasn't already approved you. But when you realize you have to join in with the people, all of us, God's children, the ground is flat at the cross. When you realize that and you start to worship God and you start to honor him, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God will promote you. God will exalt you. The Bible says he promotes the humble. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? Did that help you? We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.